We're going to be looking in, uh, in Exodus chapter 2. Let me just open up in prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for just this beautiful snow that you've given us. As what a great part of the country we live in. And to, to get this beauty, even when it oh, creates some, some hazards and some problems for us. But Lord, we're just thankful for it. Thanks for those that are here today. And uh, would you just give us a great time of fellowship and, uh, and fr encouragement from your word and just teach us um, not from words I have to say, but words that you that come from your word that you that you'll speak through me. So we just pray for this time now to be honoring to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've started a, a series that I, I was going to say little series, and I don't know how long it's going to go, but um, I'm not going to take it as long as it could. But we're going through the life of Moses, and um, and we're just going to look at some aspects of Moses's life, and and pick up some some practical applications from it. And as you, you probably know, Moses' life kind of spans from through five books in the Bible and some pretty long ones. And I promise you we're not going through all the different laws and everything like that. Because <laughs> my, my key to, um, the way I go to sleep every night, if I don't put something on to listen to, I'll just lay there thinking because my mind never shuts off. But if I put my iPod, my iPod on, I put on a sermon or a book or something, and I know by by backtracking that I've fallen asleep in the first two or three minutes. And uh, and Leviticus is one of those books that sometimes I go, I'm just going to listen to the Bible. I don't get very far into that with all the laws, and I'm even listening through the Bible now, and I'm just going, getting to X, and I go, my word, I am so thankful for Jesus that we'll be doing a communion service, so we don't have to do all those things that... Uh, that the Israelites had to do as they left Egypt. But anyway, we're looking at the life of Moses, and, um, and we're in chapter 2. Um, now, chapter 2 is kind of a, it's like, boom, here's this thing. Moses lived for 80 or for 120 years, basically. And his life can be divided up into, into roughly three sections, which, I mean, it's pretty easy to do. It's 40, 40, 40. Um, his first 40 years were spent in the, in the palace of Egypt. His second 40 years was pretty much spent running away from Egypt, which we're going to look at today. And then his last 40 were spent with the, with the Israelites escaping from Egypt and then spending in the wilderness. Now think about this. The first 80 years of his life are covered in one chapter. And from birth to, to, going, to going away is 80, um, 80 years. Um, our, Actually, his going away before the next, before chapter three gets going. So going away is 40 years. Then we jump through the next 40 years, and then his la the bulk of his life is his last 40 years. I, I like that for this fact. If you take your life and divide it by, 30, um, by three times, um, it, it gives you, gives you three-thirds, obviously. And if you're like me, I'm kind of in my... Starting, if I live to be like my mother is living, um, I'm barely into my second third. So it's kind of like I kind of relate Moses in his, in his um, I'm kind of giving away some of his story, but his sulking stage. And I think, you know, there is hope for me yet. Because, uh, I mean, I'm not in my sulking stage. I'm getting into my prime. I, I keep messing up here. I'm into my prime now. So I am in that spot where I'm going to do amazing things. And uh, so I get kind of excited about that. But anyway, it's um, with Moses. Uh, last time we looked at his basically his birth and his upbringing. Um, I mean, his uh, 
just his very first few days of his life. And, and then he was, um, if you know the story at all, if you weren't here last time, Moses was born at a time when the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. And the Pharaoh, which was the, the king, gave a command because he didn't want competition from the Israelites. He demanded that all baby boys be, be killed. Moses' parents preserved him. His mom made a basket out of pitch and reeds and put him in the, in the river, in the Nile River, where, where she placed uh, Moses' oldest sister and an older sister as, the, as a guard to watch. Along came the princess, the Pharaoh's daughter, and I kind of think it was set up by, by Moses' parents that this would happen. But anyway, the princess, princess saw Moses, had the baby brought to, to her, and she claimed the baby as her own. She then hired Moses' mother to raise him for the first part. And it, and it tells us, as we'll read here, that she had him until he was weaned, which, um, which was most likely pretty young. And, uh, and then she took him as her own, adopted him, and, it, and that's when he was named Moses. Let me just start off in, in, uh, in verse 5 um, of chapter 2, um, just, to, just to pick up where, where we're at here, and then we'll get into this last little section we're going to look at. Verse 5 of Exodus chapter 2. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and at her and her attendants were, were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the, the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, Moses' sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So that's all Moses has a baby. And as a a very young child, Moses' mom took her to Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Well, then it goes to verse 11. And it says, one day... You just got to understand something. Between verse 10 and verse 11 is 40 years. It's like, boom. How would you like it if that was your story of life? And Cletus was just a baby. One day, Cletus showed up in Ovando. So what in the heck happened before that? And so there's a lot of stuff there. So we're going to look at that a little bit. Fortunately, there's some history, uh, some historians that have written some things about him. So we're going to look at that a little bit. Anyway, it says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Now here's where we've got to, we've got to just stop for a minute and look at some things that are, that are we call them extra, um, extra scriptural, which means they came from someplace else. It doesn't mean it's not true. It's not in the word of God. There's um, historians that have written some great things about that time, and Moses was included in that. It, it's, you look at Moses here, first of all, it's, it's one thing in the way of just uh, looking at this overall. It's, it's one day to do the will of God. It's another thing to entirely to do it God's way in God's time. Let's imagine that God calls you into some kind of Christian service. That's a good thing. You know in your heart it's his plan for, for you to one day embrace this, this ministry, whatever it is. But if you aren't careful, you could easily begin to pull strings behind the scenes. And it doesn't even have to be ministry. It's just anything. 
Um, and I've been in this situation myself many times. You could find yourself beginning to push and shove and manipulate until, until, until over time you've actually ruined the calling that you received from God. You want to do the will of God, but you're bent on carrying out the plan in your own way. You took matters in your own hands and wound up losing the blessing. As we look at this section of Moses' life, it's kind of what we're seeing here. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. We find out a lot about Moses actually, some things that aren't even, that aren't here in Exodus in the book of Acts. So I'm gonna ask you to turn over to Acts chapter seven. Acts chapter seven, where this is probably another story that you're familiar with. It's, um, it would be, this whole section could be titled The Stoning of Stephen. Um, this part right here is the preaching of Stephen, and this is why they stoned him to death. It's because they, the, the people the, that were around him, this was after, after Christ's death, resurrection, the disciples had got to work. And it's during this time, and there was still a lot of opposition to um, the message that Christ had, and now that the disciples were preaching. But we can learn a lot about Moses just in a little section here. In, in chapter 7, verse 20, um, in Stephen's sermons, he said this, um, starting at verse 20, At that time Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house when he was placed outside or outside of the house. Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech in action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. That's, that's kind of where we're at. We got just a little bit more background there. And, and, uh, and so we find out that after Pharaoh's daughter had adopted Moses, she immediately began to pre prepare him for a proper life in Pharaoh's court. Outside of this story, there's a, there's a guy, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but there's a, a, a man named Josephus who wrote a lot of history about biblical times from the very beginning, such as this, all the way through um, the Gospels, I mean through uh, what Paul wrote through, through a lot of that time. So we get a lot of good background that's been proven accurate as well. And, and this historian Josephus tells us that because the Pharaoh had no son or heir, Moses was being nurtured for the throne. This seems like a sound assumption and is agreeable with scripture, I think. Whatever the case, Moses experienced a radical change of lifestyle. We just read how, how he was taken in by the, the princess and he, was, and he was educated and he was, and he was raised up and he, was, and, it tell, and he tells us here um, in this sermon, he says he was cared for in his father's house, or he was, when he, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So he was, he was raised with some pretty good education. Pharaoh's daughter put him through a training of an Egyptian home, a wholly different proposition from a, from a Hebrew home. Moses moved from a humble little shack into what we might call the ghetto of Goshen, which is what they were, they were living in a, what used to be a great land. It was still a good land, but it, things were not well taken care of by the Egyptians anymore. 
And so it would be kind of become run down and the people were living in, in some pretty hard times. So he's in these, he came from these slums where his mom and dad had lived to the steady and elegant, uh, stately elegant court of the king. It's hard to identify a similar contemporary situation, I think. We might think for an instance of an abandoned child from the gutters of a slum in America um, who's suddenly whisked by authorities to the home of, say, let's say, Bill Gates um, to, to be adopted as their child. So from the slums to, to, to extreme wealth and, and luxury. Even that doesn't, doesn't do justice to this contrast. What, what happened, according to the account in the book of Exodus, simply astonishes and can only be attributed to the, ha the hand of, of a sovereign God. Especially when we understand that God had a plan for Moses. Little Moses probably got not only his own room, but a whole suite of rooms. No longer homeschooled under the care of Jochebed, his mother, he fell into the hands of a polished Egyptian, uh, of polished Egyptian tutors. They immediately began to instruct the young boy in the protocol, lifestyle, and culture of Egyptian life. He entered a whole process of orientation in his preparation for the throne. Again, in Acts, we're told that Moses was educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. In a saying of that day, people referred to a brilliant person as having the wisdom of the Egyptians. That's how well that, that education system and the way that they were was regarded. A boy that was, would be, was raised in Egypt, such as, as Moses was now with a silver spoon in his mouth, attended the Temple of the Sun. Archaeologists and historians have done us a great service in unearthing and bringing in our attention to some, some facts concerning this premier educational center. On top of that, he would have he would probably been um, educated in the arts, in sculpture, and music, and painting. The whole world of Egyptian literature was opened up to him. The adopted son of the princess found himself immersed in Egyptian learning. It became his life, which is why he became powerful in speech and action. Although it isn't verified in scripture, some historians claim that Moses was a quick study, a quick learner is what that means. It didn't take long for the former Hebrew slave to grasp the content of these, of these heavy courses that he was being educated in. Back in those days, no one majored in basket weaving, line dancing, and other such light fare, like our universities do now. You really had to study, um, um, you really had to study back then, so Moses became keen in thinking and learned and all the wisdom of the Egyptians. The Bible also tells us that Moses' Moses's diligent study and preparation made him into a man mighty in words and deed, as we've read. He made a name for himself and earned the Egyptians' respect. Early on, it became obvious that the son of the princess welded both power and influence. By the time he reached 30, extra-biblical uh, teaching tells us this, that he had already led the Egyptian army to a smashing victory over the Ethiopians. He wasn't just a smart guy, he was a great leader. He proved it over and over. It tells us that here, and it tells us that by... Um, as I've said, an extra scriptural historian, um, history. Moses was a pride of Egypt. He was doing well as he prepared for the throne, as they prepared him for the throne. I can imagine that his, that his adopted father could look at him and say, this is, a, this is a boy that's ready to take over. I am ready for this guy. And, the, and Egypt is, 
um, is right for him. But he was also very vulnerable because he was a human. He had no idea how vulnerable he was, but that would soon become obvious to, the, to him and to the whole nation, including his, his adopted mother and grandfather. Some teachers suggest that Moses did not know the will of God for his life, that he didn't know about that until his encounter with the burning bush, which if you know the story of Moses, you'll know that. If not, stick around and you'll hear more. And, uh, but, but, that's, but I don't agree with that. Um, I think that, that Moses probably knew that long before. It's often assumed that Moses first realized he was delivered to deliver Israel at that amazing time in, in the Midian desert when the voice of God called him from the flames. I don't have a specific verse to back up my, my position. I believe scriptural strongly implies, though, that Moses had begun to understand his destiny while still a young man being educated in the Egyptian courts. Before he reached the age of 40, I'm convinced that God had already put in Moses' mind that he would one day lead his people out of bondage. He knew God's will, and that's why he visited his people, just as, as he did in this part right here. That's why he went out to see what was going on with them. That's why he got irritated when he saw an Egyptian slave master um, beating one of his own people. He knew who he was, he knew where he came from, and he didn't like the injustice that he saw. Once again, we can look at, look at the book of Acts at um, chapter seven, verse 23. It says this, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. And even right there, he's, he it's, gives a thought that, that he'd started the process. He began to rescue them. This couldn't have been the first time, I, is why I don't think, that such a thought occurred to Moses. He had certainly seen Hebrews before. How could you miss them? They were all over the place, building, carrying, chopping, sweeping, shoveling, hauling, dragging stones, and working the landscape. They were doing all of the work. And why not? They were the slaves to the Egyptians now. Somewhere along the line, scripture doesn't say when, a plan began to form in this powerful young man's mind. The trouble is when you know the ultimate will of God for your life and things aren't happening fast enough to suit you, we often will become anxious. We begin looking for ways to jumpstart the process. Have you ever been there? I'm not pointing fingers. I've sure been there. And I was there not all that long ago and I had to just sit down and just take a deep breath and just go, you know, this doesn't look right, but I don't think God needs me to change the plan. Well, that's not how Moses looked at it. You'll not read in either Acts or in Exodus as we look at these stories or in any other portion of scripture that God led Moses to kill an Egyptian. God did do that sometimes for different reasons. Moses was strictly a freelance murderer. Verse 23 of, this, of Acts 7 says this, that he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. And without realizing it, Moses, Moses entered a vulnerable, dangerous time of life. While I'm convinced, as I've said, that he was a tool to be used to redeem Israel, I also believe he grew antsy about it, anxious, impatient, and in that state of mind, he launched a premature strike that resulted in disaster and a 40-year setback to what God had in mind. Desiring to carry out the will of God, 
Eager to do great things for God, he forced a situation which led to personal disaster. As we've read, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Because the mistreated slave also descended from Jacob as he did, Moses' heart went out to him. He said, I can't let that happen. And so suddenly it happened. Moses gripped the wheel of his life and flipped it over at high speed like a car hitting a patch of black ice and careening over a bank. And I didn't, I didn't make that up myself. I just read that. I was like, That's a great line. And then I thought about that as I'm driving here today on, on slick roads. So I'm going, hmm, it's, I understand that. It's like, boy, all of a sudden you just take it. He took control of his own life and, and he was down in the ditch before he knew it. At that point, there was no going back. It, it would be easy to explain it all by saying something suddenly snapped, but that's not how scripture explains it. Moses acted deliberately according to plan, his plan. If you look at, if we look back at, in Exodus chapter 2, it says this. Verse 11, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his, his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Get this, verse 12, glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. You don't get the point, the, the message there that just, that just has happened and then he going, oh, what did I do? I'm sure that he did do that, but he made sure nobody was looking. He looked this way, that way to the left and the right, as some versions tell us. The problem is he didn't look up and say, God, what would, what would you have me do in this situation? And he could say that, well, I'm sure I heard God say, kill the guy. But that's not what he did. That's not what happened. As soon as he killed him, it says this, that he hid him in the sand. Right away, he felt guilty for what he had done, and he knew that, that he had to do something about it. Picture this in your mind, in that, Moses, in that moment, Moses became man conscious. He saw abuse going on and he thought, now's my chance to make my move. So he rolled up his sleeves and took on the, on the uh, equality of what he saw and, and killed the Egyptian. Enough of all this unfair tription, um, treatment, he said. So he decided to look this way and that, and when he saw no one around, he struck the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. I, I've often wondered this. Um, it doesn't say how he killed him. And just because I have a wild, vivid imagination, I wonder, did he, did he run him through with a, with a spear? Did he, did he uh, strike him with a sword? Did he just hit him with a killing blow with his fist? He was a powerful guy. Bible doesn't say, yet it is clear that the, the idea came to him and was implemented by Moses, not by God. Energized by the flesh of Moses. I'm convinced Moses was doing more than grandstanding. I don't think he was doing it just to show the, the Israelites that, hey, here I am. I think that he was sincere in what he was doing. He, he didn't like the injustice he saw. He didn't see himself murdering a cruel slave driver as much as, as, he, as he courageously strike the, uh, struck a blow for God's people. The desire to do something just overcame him. His problem, he dedicated himself to doing what God wanted, uh, not doing. Uh, he just dedicated himself to doing what God wanted, but not to the timing of God. And that's the biggest problem that we can get involved in a lot of times. 
We can be sure that God wants this to happen, but maybe God just doesn't want it to happen yet. You and I can become so dedicated to the will of God, we can be so driven by a false sense of purpose that we might inadvertently take matters into our own hands and leave God completely out of the loop. Was that cruel taskmaster wrong? Was it wrong to beat the Hebrew as he did? Most likely, yes, in both cases. But when Moses stepped in and began his own operation deliverance, he was energized by the flesh, not by the spirit. How easily this can happen to good people, to men and women with the highest motives and the best of intentions. Picture this, you really want to do something to justify that it is the will of God, or it could be the will of God, and suddenly, it just all, it's just out of the blue, an opportunity presents itself. If you don't watch it, you'll find yourself elbowing your way through the open door, but all the while, God waits for you to seek his counsel. One of the things that, that Suzette and I learned long ago, and, and uh, we, we pray this all the time, is it's like, God, would you give us open and shut doors? And, and sometimes, we, it'd be really easy to go, yeah, I think that's an open door. And you can just picture, that's why I say elbow your way through, because then all of a sudden you're pushing her through and it's kind of trying to shut. And, and, and so we, we just pray, God would just slam the door shut in her face so it's real obvious. It's not always like that, but at the same time, we've got to keep moving. And, and when the door does shut, yeah, disappointment comes sometimes because we're only seeing things right to here. Um, we're not seeing the full distance as God as God does. And so it, so often it'd be so easy to elbow your way through so that you could get what you wanted right now. But what God really wants is for us to just seek his counsel. And as doors get shut, to just accept what he's doing and then to, to move on in a different direction sometimes. Often we've seen that door open up again. And maybe all God wanted was just to see our willingness to accept what he was leading us to do if you act without discerning his timing you may lose his divine favor and I think that happens a lot he will not bless what he has not ordained you may truly sense that God has something for you to accomplish in a certain area but if you aren't vigilant if you aren't daily humbling yourself before him seeking his face discerning his timing operating under the spirit's control you may push and shove and force your way prematurely into that place where God wanted you, but you will not have arrived at his time. How critical is this issue of God's timing? There's a, a, a later biblical hero who, who well understood this crucial role once asked a frightened young girl, who knows that you may have come to a royal position for such a time as this? That was Esther. And, and she, and, and as her uncle, I can't remember his name right now, um, said to her, Esther, don't think that you're safe just because of where you are. You might be where you are for just such a time as this. Esther picked up the, the challenge, and, and God used her in a mighty way. She was the right person. It was the right time. And he used, used her to save the nation of Israel. Later on, the Apostle Paul deepened our appreciation for this mystery when he wrote of Christ's birth. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of their son. That's in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. At just the right time, 
untold blessing, but at the wrong time, disaster. I, I think often of, of Jesus in the, in the garden right before his crucifixion, which, uh, which is a great thing to be, rem, uh, remind, be reminded of today as we do communion, is that Jesus was praying to his father, would you please let this pass by me? Please? He had the power to do it himself even. And yet God told him no. God the Father told him no. Jesus accepted that. And Jesus' words, in fact, were not mine, but your will be done. I, I am so thankful that, that God didn't go, oh, son, I sure love you. hate for you to go through the pain. So, okay, let's just change this whole deal. We're just going to make people continue on like they're doing. We're not going to give them a savior. And imagine where we'd be right now. Moses looked this way and he looked that way. Isn't it interesting? He didn't look up, as I said. He looked in both directions horizontally, but left God completely out of the picture. What he did do was the result of his murderous anger. And then scripture tells us, as we've read, he hid the Egyptian in the sand. Jumping to, going to verse 13 of, in chapter 2 of Exodus. The next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting and asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. I've often pictured Moses. I mean, he got, he, here he, he realizes other people saw. It wasn't just those two that were there. And then I killed him and hit him in the sand. People found out. When we, when we take things in our own hands, when we hurry the process along as Abraham and Sarah did, and later found themselves with an Ishmael on their hands, mocking the child of promise, if you know that story of, of before Isaac was born, Neglecting to ask God's counsel, neglecting to seek God's timing, we step into the hand, into handle things, we, and then we end up with a mess on our hands, just like Moses did. It tells us that he ran off and lived in Midian. I, I've, if you want to look at and see what Midian is, look at a, at a current. I, I don't know how it looked back then, but we, we know that it was a desert. Midian is a, my word, it's like, You've heard that term, God-forsaken places. It looks like it. And, and so here it is. It's just a desert, and there's just not much there. And you think about this, that Moses went from the palace to the wilderness because he just got things out of whack going on his own timing. And here he is sitting at, at the edge of, uh, of a well far away from his, from his home. I'm sure that he asked himself, what did I do? What if? If only. Ever done that? I, I heard a guy one time kind of bragging. I, I've always said this. I've heard a lot of people say this, but it's the stupid line. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry if you say it, but I'm going to say it's a stupid line when people say, I have no regrets. It's like, well, come to my life because I've got lots of them, and I don't think I've majorly screwed up, but it's like, man, do I have a lot of regrets. I have asked those questions right there. What did I do? What if, if only so many times? I have lots of regrets, and I know Moses had great regrets. 
But it was here that that change began, and the, change, and the changing station and re-education went on for another 40 years. Imagine that. Another third of his life. So that's why I said, just think if, if, the, last, if the last 30 years of my life was, uh, was just recovering from the first 30 years of my life of, and, and, and culminated with an idiot move. I've done lots of those, just want you to know. I've often pictured Moses as he, as he took off when he found out that Pharaoh was trying to kill him. Um, this would be his, his uh, adopted grandfather. As he's, as he's trying to kill him, I've, I've got a picture of Moses running through the wilderness with his Egyptian designer clothes, snagging on the brush and getting torn, much like a city boy, I would say, like a city boy running through our hills up here, not prepared, just got dumped off, and not the right clothes, not the right equipment. And, and that's kind of what what Moses was. I was like, he just packed up and ran. And, and no, no longer was he equipped for what he had. Maybe he took a chariot and a horse. I don't know. But no matter what, he was heading into an unknown and a place that he wasn't ready for. The bottom line is this, that he was out of God's will because he had gotten ahead of God. Here's the one thing I want you to just take with you today. You, you can forget all the rest. There's a lot of good story there, background, everything else, and that's kind of the introduction. It's a two-part, maybe a three-part introduction that we've done on Moses to get into the meat of Moses' life. But here's the one thing I want you to take with you today, and it's this. It's just pray, 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 and trust God to do things in his way and in his time. He will open doors to lead you, and then just be ready to go through that door when it's open, and of course, following God's ways from his word. At the same time, don't say no to God when he gives you clear direction. I've seen that happen all lots of times too. In both cases, when God says something, I just pray that you'll follow his leading. You will be blessed. You will be used in the right way and at the right time. Let's just close in prayer and then we'll have communion. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for, for just some lessons from the life of Moses. It's exciting to know that as he's sitting here at a well, kind of sulking and wondering that it's not the end of his life. And uh, most of us are probably familiar enough with this story to know that's not the end. You used him in great ways. But God, it, it's a great lesson for us to know that, that when we get ahead of you, uh, we can really mess things up. And so I want to pray that, that we would not get ahead of you and we would acknowledge your ways and... and uh, and follow them. And yet the same Lord, there's this great redeeming um, teaching there that, that that's not the end if we have messed up. And so I just want to pray that you would continue to teach us from the life of Moses. Just may these things of his life stick with us right now and just go with us throughout this, uh, this next week. And, and uh, may we just do great things for you as a body of believers. I pray all this in Jesus' name.